Shooters Touch Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Shooters Touch. We have another great head coach on our podcast today. A little bit outside of our typical geography or location, we head out west to New Mexico State University and talk to head coach Chris Jans. If you don't know much about Coach Jans, he has many Iowa ties, originally from Fairbank, went to high school at Wapsie Valley, was an assistant coach at Grandview University at one time, and then made the move to head coach at Kirkwood College. A little bit of a journeyman after that, moved around to different universities, JUCOs, and colleges around the uh, United States, actually, but ended up uh, running into me and me running into him at Illinois State University, where he was an assistant coach under Horder Mosier for the Redbirds. Ended up as an assistant coach under Greg Marshall at Wichita. That story is very good. We dive into that into the podcast. And then, obviously, now head coach at New Mexico State University, multiple different NCAA tournaments, multiple different conference champions, and really fun team to watch play just because of the way they play. It was a really awesome conversation connecting the dots with Chris Jans. Used to play under our a previous guest, Coach Marty McCowan, in high school. So very good friends with that family. And, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of ties here back to the area. As I mentioned, head coach Chris Jans of the New Mexico State University Aggies. We hope you enjoy it. I got the shooters touch. Can't nobody shoot like me. Fourth quarter down three, need a two and one. Better call on me, better call on me. If you know you need a shooter, I'm ice cold like a cooler. Get you right though, I can tutor. This that mic flow, I'm a hooper. I got blue faces on blue faces. Well, again, welcome back, Shooters. We have another great guest here on the Shooters Touch, head men's basketball coach of the New Mexico State Aggies, Coach Chris Jans. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Uh, appreciate you having me. Yeah, we're excited to take a little time here and uh, catch up and see how things are going. Obviously, the, uh, the big connection and everything that we do here are two things is uh, around the state of Iowa and uh, basketball. And so the three of us definitely have that going. And with that, Coach, uh, let's talk a little bit about the beginning. Um, what was it like for you growing up in Iowa, Fairbank area, Wapsie Valley? Uh, what was the neighborhood like? Did you get into some, some pickup games? And what, what was sports and the competitive level like for you growing up in Iowa? Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I wouldn't trade my childhood for, for anyone else's. I wouldn't, uh, it was, uh, loved, uh, growing up in Fairbank, Iowa and being a part of the Wapsie Valley community. Um, you know, it was typical small town America, you know, um, a lot of bike riding, uh, a lot of scraped elbows and knees, um, certainly had some pickup games, but they were more, uh, of the one-on-one, two-on-two variety. Um, didn't have a lot of five-on-five um, in the off-season. Um, just you wasn't that many guys that were, were interested in, in doing that. You know, most people had jobs, et cetera, um, you know, outside of school, uh, especially in the summer with the farming community, et cetera. Um, but, again, uh, I, I love uh, where I'm from. I love uh, going back. I'm fortunate. I'm the oldest of five and I got shoot like 14, 15, uh, nephews, nieces, um, 
and all my siblings live within 15 minutes of, of where my parents grew up um, and where we grew up for that matter. So when I go home, I get to see everybody in one swoop and it makes it really nice um, for me that way, not to have to travel a ton to, to be able to see all, all of my family. And uh, it's a little ironic that, you know, I was the only one that actually ever left um, that area, but I understand why they don't leave because um, it's a great, great community and it's a great place to raise families. And um, like I said, I mean, um, you know, we, we played a lot of sports. I mean, that's all we did. Uh, fortunately, I grew up in a sporting community. I mean, all I can remember is playing uh, wiffle ball in the yard and, you know, football in, in the biggest grassy area we could find. And, um, just, you know, being kids. And, and um, it was awesome. And I uh, certainly wouldn't trade it for anything. So when did, uh, when did basketball start to kind of take a toll as far as uh, a love relationship with the sport for you? Was it at a young age or did it take a little while for you? You know, I, all I remember is, um, you know, playing every sport that was offered um, for as, you know, once I get into organized sports, I mean, people would ask me what my favorite sport was and it was always whatever was in season. Um, um, so I, I, you know, I played it all. I mean, track, golf, uh, which I was poor at both of those. Uh, I remember my, my sophomore year, AAU had just started taking hold in Iowa. This was back in the mid eighties. And certainly I was excited about that. You know, I got an AAU team, our conference, um, got some of the better players together. And, you know, uh, we we're like, you know, we're going to play an AAU team. And we did. Um, and, and then my track coach, uh, um, came to me once and said, Hey, it's a little too much. You're going to have to make a, a decision, a choice between, running track or playing AU and I'm like, oh, there's no decision. I'm gonna play basketball. <laughs> I hate actually I hated track. But you know, it's what we did. Whatever sport was in season, that's what we did. And I hated track. I hate it. I don't understand what you get out of running around the oval. Um, you know, and I'm I i do not want my players to hear this because you know, we run a little bit on the side and um they probably don't like that me admitting that. But um but yeah I played I mean every sport like I said, football, baseball, golf, um uh, I mean, I didn't play golf to my senior year because my football coach told me, you know, he was the golf coach. And he's like, hey, Jansy, why don't you go out for golf this year? I'm like, coach, I, I'm awful at golf. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, nice little deal. Get out of school for a couple of days. I'm like, all right, sign me up. You know, and I would go out there. And, I mean, I'd be shooting in the 50s or something for nine holes, you know. And um, so in terms of uh, falling in love with basketball, um, you know, in Iowa at the time, I'm sure it's still the same. And, and, you know, being from Iowa, like Iowa is a wrestling state, if it's anything. And so I wrestled since like the second grade, all the way up to my freshman year. I went to all the kiddie tournaments. I was a better wrestler than I was anything else. Um, our community was wrestling based. And so um, all I can remember from a kid was was wrestling and um, going to all the little towns. Uh, I'm sure I've been to you guys' hometowns and wrestling tournaments. I remember being in Ackley. Uh, wrestling um, from second grade all the way up to my freshman year and you have to make that decision if you're going to play basketball or wrestle once you get to high school and junior high you can do both which I did um, and I always knew I was going to play basketball in high school once I got in junior high but around Wasi Valley which was more of a wrestling school we weren't a basketball school at all uh, I don't think you know they've been in the NCAA tournament for decades um, until we went but um, I remember not wanting to make the decision. Again, this wasn't a, 
uh, uh, a big decision, okay? It wasn't LeBron's decision. It was just me in Little Fairbank, Iowa, trying to make a decision between wrestling and, and basketball. But in my little world, what were these wrestlers were tough dudes, you know? And it was a town of a thousand people, so everybody knew everybody. And these guys were real friendly to me because they were recruiting the guys around the fence to, to wrestle instead of play basketball. And they certainly had some choice words back then for basketball players because, you know, the wrestling room was the smelliest room in the building. I mean, you could just – the sweat that, that just reeked out of that room uh, wasn't pleasant. But they worked, and they were tough dudes. And I waited and waited and waited until, like, I had to make the decision, even though I knew I was going to. And then, oh, my God. I mean, I was a little weakling as a freshman, and I got picked on pretty hard, and, and, and I would avoid the junior, senior wrestlers in the hallways. Like, it was pretty ugly in my little world for about two weeks. I mean, the names they called me and, and how they treated me, and it was, uh, it was pretty intimidating, you know, at 14 years old. Um, but, but basketball was always uh, the one sport that um, – uh, I had the love for, I, you know, I, I, like I said, played them all like most young, you know, kids did, at least in, in my era. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the same anymore back there, but we played every sport imaginable that we could. Um, and it was nice to be in a small town because, you know, like me, I wasn't very good at any of them, but, you know, the competition wasn't that good either. So I could, I could make the team. I could be one of the better players. I could be a starter in all the sports and, and not even, you know, just being oblivious to what was out there because that was before AAU. So we weren't traveling around and comparing ourselves to really good players. We weren't even playing the guys in Cedar Falls, Waterloo. You know, I mean, my buddies, we would, we would uh, get in a car when we were old enough and figure out someone to drive. And we'd go over to, to Burns and Gates Park in Waterloo when you played outside just to play against good players. We would do that in the summer. And man, I felt like I was, you know, traveling to, to Chicago to play. I mean, just to go over to Waterloo, Cedar Falls and play with someone outside of our little community. I mean, I look forward to those days to be able to do that. And we were so disappointed if we get over there and there wasn't a bunch of guys playing or the weather was bad. And I just remember just, we would just be so disappointed that there was no ball that day. But, um, you know, basketball was definitely uh, the, the one sport, um, even though I, probably, I was, like I said, a better wrestler than I was a basketball player. But um, it was the one sport that, uh, that definitely uh, had my heart for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's changed a little bit here, but small town Iowa, obviously, Adam and I um, grew up very much the same way. And so that uh, we can definitely relate. And um, both Algona and Warburg were probably more wrestling schools than basketball schools. So I'm, I'm right there with you on, on that and what comes with the wrestler. But um, hey, so one of our past guests, Marty McCowan, we had on here and uh, talking about some of his teams. And um, obviously, you specifically came up and and your passion and love uh, for the game and just continuing to get better. I think he shared a story talking about how you would show up on his doorstep to break down film the day after a game and kind of go over some of the, some of the film. And so did you know at a young age that, uh, that maybe coaching this game might be something that uh, you would do down the road? You know, when I was uh, growing up, my idols were the gym teachers at my junior high and high school. I thought they had it with. I mean, you I mean, I thought they had the best jobs in the world. Because uh, um, again, I, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a kid. We didn't travel much. You know, our idea of vacation is going to the Mississippi River, right? And, and doing stuff like that. I mean, um, I can probably count on one hand how many times I left the state um, when I was in high school. 
and it was, you know, either vacation with the family, you know, load up the, the station wagon and go to Colorado and see the mountains, you know. Um, other than that, you know, it just wasn't exposed to, to, to the world or what was out there. And I didn't know any better, which was which is awesome because I had everything to look forward to, even though I didn't realize that. Um, but I thought our, our the PE teachers slash coaches just I just I mean, all I could say is if I could do that, I, I would just be thrilled to death. Um, so that's really what I wanted to be, you know, and then, um, my dad, uh, and my mom, but my dad, uh, specifically, you know, didn't, didn't have the opportunity to go to college, et cetera. And so they were all about, you know, trying to get me to think that way and, and go to college. And, and, you know, back then, even, even to this day, I know teachers are, um, underappreciated and, um, underpaid and certainly back then, you know, they, they were. And so they kind of got me off that mindset you know, hey, go to college, you know, get into a different field, etc. And so, you know, I did like most good sons do and listen to my dad and, and kind of got out of that mindset and went to college and got degrees and a couple of degrees, one in marketing and one in finance. And they must have been given away back then at Laurel. <laughs> um, my professors are rolling their eyes right now. Um, but, you know, got a couple of degrees and uh, was, was ready to attack Wall Street. And that was kind of my mentality. And um, but, you know, didn't have any connections, didn't really know how to get my foot in the door. And then um, basically in the back of my mind, I, I'm like, I want to I want to coach, you know. And so um, probably would have been better if, if I would have thought like that, you know, through my college career and, and made connections. But that wasn't that was the furthest thing from my mind. So uh, literally had to start from scratch. Um, and my first year out of college, I did not coach. Um, I held odd jobs. Uh, different places um, and then I made the big decision I was going to be a, a manager trainee for Sherwin Williams paint store so I went through the training program uh, um, was based out of Cedar Falls Waterloo for a while then I got my big break and I got my assistant uh, manager spot at Mason City Iowa and I, I lived up there in Nyack country in a one bedroom efficiency for a few months and uh, one day I'm like, okay, this, this ain't going to work. And, um, just basically resigned and, 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 um, chased coaching back. Uh, it was in the spring after my, my senior year. And, and then, um, you know, finally made a, a connection with, uh, uh, a coach at Elmer's college in Chicago. And I think I was the fifth assistant at division three program. Uh, my first year, I was the last guy in the totem pole and, uh, you want to talk about, you know, starting from the bottom and all that stuff. I mean, I don't think you can start much lower in college um, than I did. Well, before, and Adam's going to, we're going to lead, that's a perfect lead up into your, uh, how you got into coaching. But before we transition to that real quick, just because you, you mentioned it, I, we got to know a little bit about Loris and your time as a Dewhawk and in Dubuque. Um, what was that like for you? So did you, so you weren't, didn't do any coaching or didn't have that in, in the forefront. Um, but, but what was your time like in Dubuque? You know, it was a great place to go to school. Uh, it's a fun college town. You know, you had three colleges and in a fairly smaller town. You know, you got Clark College, uh, University of Dubuque, and, and Loris all in a very close proximity, which is kind of odd. Um, but it was it was great. I uh, loved my experience there, uh, both uh, off the floor, on the floor. Uh, I was close to home, you know. Hour and a half drive. Hour and a half drive down Highway 20. I could get home, you know, for a weekend or for a day, and my parents and family could come watch us play. Obviously, we remember the Iowa Conference, so we'd get home and and uh, you know play the schools in and around where I was from. So 
um, that was really cool. And, um, you know, basketball wise, um, I didn't realize it because again, I wasn't thinking about being a coach, but uh, the coaches I played for, I was very fortunate. I mean, I played for some, some, some tough guys. I played for some knowledgeable guys. Uh, my first year, you know, my head coach was, was Mike Jaskolski. Steve Craftsison actually recruited me. He was at Loris uh, as an assistant, and I love Coach K. He's the best. And he recruited me and then left, and I think he went to Iowa State. He was on the men's side then. I was obviously with the women at, at uh, DMAC if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, and, but but uh, Mike Jaskolski uh, was, was my coach. And then he left after my first year to go be a Division I assistant somewhere. And then uh, they had a young guy on staff named Brad Soderberg, who had played for uh, Dick Bennett um, in college. And so Brad Soderberg was, mm, I don't know, mid-late 20s, 26, 27, maybe 28, and a first-year um, college coach and had played for Dick Bennett. And so you can imagine, you know, how tight we were. I mean, I think we passed the ball seven or eight times before we looked at the basket. I mean, you weren't taking a, taking a shot unless it was a layup um, before the mover blocker and the old school motion. And I mean, we defended and we did one-on-one and two-on-two breakdown drills so the cows came home. And, you know, I didn't know any better. I mean, uh, I love Marty McCowan and, and He's a friend of mine to this day. And, but when, when, I, when Marty coached me at Wapsie, he was straight out of football. He was straight out of upper aisle. He was 22 years old. I was 14. And um, he didn't have a ton of knowledge about basketball when he first started. And I'm sure he'd be the first to admit, how could he? He didn't play college basketball. He's playing football and baseball and worrying about his own game, not let, you know, coaching someone else. And so he came straight from upper Iowa to coach us which we could talk about that forever. Uh, I got some great stories when it comes to that. I promise you. I don't know what he said on his podcast, but I could set the record straight if you want me to. But anyway, well, I, I digress. Um, so playing for, for Coach Soderberg um, uh, wasn't uh, enjoyable. Um, it was tough. Uh, you know, he was, a, was obviously a really good coach. And, and what he, he coached what he knew. He knew Dick Bennett. And Dick Bennett was obviously a, a, a disciplined coach, a tough coach, um, a no-nonsense coach. So um, that's what I knew. And then um, fortunately, um, between my junior and senior year, um, all, we had a big, big class ahead of me where a lot of my friends were. And they had a bunch of seniors, and they graduated. And so going into my senior year, you know, in Division Three, I don't know how it is now, but they used to bring in you know, 20 guys in a class, right? Um, they need to get enrollment up, et cetera, JV team. So by the time I got to be a senior, there were only two of us left. Okay, me and another guy named uh, Gary Hylers. And he wasn't much of a scorer. He was an athlete, runner, jumper. And so Brad Serber wrote me a letter. I still have it somewhere. And I pinned it up on my, in my bedroom between my junior and senior year about we're going to open the offense up. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, you need to work on your game, be in great shape. We're going to, you know, we're going to play as many minutes as you can, shoot as many shots as you can. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I think I framed it. And I was always going to make sure to remind him that he sent me this letter in the summer, you know, because I was so excited going to my senior year, like, they're going to take the gloves off and we're going we're gonna to score, we're going to shoot. And so I went from averaging like 11 points a game as a junior to 28 as a senior. And, and. I hate to tell – I hope Coach will never – he will never listen to this, but I didn't work on my game that much between my junior and senior year, okay? I really didn't. Um, so I didn't get that much better. He just 
opened up the offense. He changed styles because he had to adapt. We didn't have a bunch of good players back. And um, for me, in a selfish way, it was like heaven on earth. I mean, I could run the right wing, and all the, all the whole goal was to get me the ball and me shoot it as many times as I could. Um, so I broke a ton of records that year, but I also broke a ton of attempt records. I mean, I guarantee I shot that thing every time down the court. It was like a, a shooter's dream. You know, um, it was awesome. I didn't play that much defense my senior year. Um, my first three years, I had to, to get on the court, but um, I kind of had him because I knew he needed me to score, and I was one of the lone upperclassmen that could get it done. So um, college was awesome. You know, um, another thing I wouldn't trade for much. Some of my best friends are still guys that I met in college and in some um, in high school, but uh, it certainly was a good experience. And, and getting back to my original story is um, I didn't realize it, but it helped me so much in my early years of coaching because um, that's what I knew. You know, I knew from what the college guys taught me and my coaches taught me. And I had a great base at a young age in terms of fundamentals defensively, uh, how to run a program, how to run a practice, how to discipline your team. And I didn't realize it at the time, but they were preparing me, um, you know, to be a coach. Well, that's, uh, that's an awesome story. And <clears throat> I don't know about, I don't know about you, Brian, but I mean, sign me up for your senior year coach. That sounds like you said, kind of mm. like, he like heaven on a basketball court. I mean, I averaged 28 points a game. <laughs> I don't, I don't pay attention to it, but at the time I, I was the record holder for most threes made per game at any level. I mean, I was making, you know, I made 10 threes a couple times. Average is like five point something. Um, but again, I'm not going to, you know, this, the other side of the coin is I shot it up. Ton. I remember playing against UD one year. Um, they came out, and, I, and Coach Davidson, who I, I really love to this day, he was the coach at UD. He was the coach at Clark recently. Um, great guy. And they boxed and won my point guard. I was the two guard. I'm like, hey, hold up. I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the one scoring all, all the points. And, and they boxed and won him, which was a really good move because he was the guy getting the outlets and spraying, spraying the ball up the court. You know? And so here I am wide open. And I shot 24 threes in one game, okay, against our rival, and I only made eight. I was, like, just so frustrated. I remember, like, I'd miss it and be like, how do I miss so open? And I kept missing it, and they kept leaving me open. I'm like, what is going on? You know, and fortunately, I don't think, you know, film was as prevalent back then because other teams probably should have done that because I struggled when I was open. But uh, 24 threes in one game. I just can't imagine one of my players shooting 24 threes, only making eight of them, and me continuing to encourage them to shoot the ball. But, um, but yeah, it was heaven on earth, Adam. Uh, you know, guys like you, you would have been in heaven, no doubt about it. Sounds, sounds phenomenal to me, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> well, hey, uh, let's jump into your coaching career, Coach. You mentioned that, you know, you got, got your first coaching gig about a year after you graduated college. Um, I guess specifically here to Iowa, um, assistant at Grandview. And then it was your first head coaching job at Kirkwood? It was. Uh, I got yep. very lucky. Um, you know, I didn't probably deserve the job. I hadn't done anything in the business. I was two years at Elmer's, low man the totem pole, and then uh, a couple of years at Grandview uh, as assistant coach. And, you know, but I didn't make any money. I mean, my, my job was the dorm director for the men. And then I had to bring in like uh, student activities coordinator. I would, I would, I would bring in acts on campus. And uh, I had all sorts of titles when I was at Grandview. I mean, um, even at Kirkwood, I, I didn't have, I was seven years in the business before all I did was basketball. 
like that's what people don't get at that level when you start you're not getting paid to be a coach you're getting you know uh, that's the reason you're there but if you want to earn the money and the insurance you got to do other things and um so but yeah kirkwood was um uh, the first uh head coaching job and um you know like i alluded to earlier i was fortunate who i had played for because if it wasn't for that, you know, I probably would have really struggled as a young head coach. But uh, someone gave me the acronym, which is wildly, you know, everybody knows it, um, you know, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. And and that's what I did. You know, I didn't try to reinvent the wheel. I just tried to get my teams to play really, really hard. And we ran motion offense and we ran man-to-man defense. And and that's all we did. And, uh, you know, had some success there. And that kind of jump-started, you know, the career. Because up until that point, you know, like I said, we – Granby, we didn't win a ton. We weren't, you know, like a championship program, et cetera. And Elmer's, uh, you know, same, same way. So I just, I had a personal connection to the leadership at Kirkwood. Um, another Iowa, some Iowa guys. The, re- the only reason I really got the interview was um, my AD at Loris, Bob Berry, who was also the football coach. Uh, I had a relationship with him when I was a student athlete. He wanted me to play football at Loris, which I never would because I'm like, no, my basketball coach will kill me if I play football. So I'm going to stick with – but he always – every year he'd get on me behind the scenes about, hey, we need another cornerback, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, I wouldn't do it. But um, we had a mutual respect for another and still to, the, to this day. Um, but Lon Olenzak, former Iowa Hawkeye, which is way before your time, you know, he was a Rose Bowl participant, I think, Back in the day for when, you know, for Iowa and the Swarm and all that, he was in the leadership committee and he refereed Iowa conference football games uh, on the side. And he had a lot of respect for Bob Barry. So I had Bob Barry call Lionel Olenzak. And that's the only reason Lionel Olenzak told me the story after I got hired that they even taught. They didn't know who I was. I'm an assistant at Grandview College, you know, for two years. And, and uh, you know, that connection um, got me in the door and, um, you know, I must have lied to him enough for, for them to give me the job at that age, but um, it all worked out. Yeah, it looks like uh, in two seasons, though, it looks 25 and 10 and 31 and 6. So you definitely had some success at, uh, at Kirkwood. And obviously, we, that program uh, has continued to have success and have some good coaches come through there. But uh, after that, then it looks like you transitioned down to Kansas, Independence um, uh, Community College down there in Kansas. Um, I'd like to talk just a little bit about this. Independence would have been something probably two years ago. I would have had no idea what it was, but obviously since the last chance you has gone through there, did you get a, did you get an opportunity to watch on Netflix that docuseries with uh, coach Brown and the football program at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that was wild. That was, that was wild. Um, you know, uh, obviously that was way after my time. I was there for one season back in, Oh, it would have been 98, 99. Um, but, you know, for me, growing up in Fairbank, not having, an, you know, parents or aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters that were in the college basketball or were, um, you know, knowledgeable of it, I didn't know the business at all. I mean, I didn't know it at all. When I stepped foot on Elmer's campus, I didn't know what I was getting into. And, you know, just like everything in life, the more experience experience you get, the more knowledge you get, the more understanding you get. But as I got into the business, the Jayhawk Conference um, in junior college was one of the premier conferences in the country, uh, especially back then. I mean, there are tons of pros that have been going through there in the 80s and the 90s. So to have the opportunity to coach in that league, I was just giddy about, um, 
you know, at the time. But um, certainly um, we had a football program then, but um, uh, nothing like, you know, they had with um, Coach Brown and, and, and the crew that, that he had. And, um, you know, I just, I just remember watching that going, I don't think there's any way that I would ever allow a TV camera into my program, uh, especially back then. I, I mean, that's just me. Um, it was entertaining. It was made for great TV. Um, but um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't a part of that. Let's just put it that way. Well, with your time there, was that something – was it at all like that where you guys were kind of a, almost a feeder program or trying to get those kids, you know, over to Kansas? Or what, what was it like? I know you're only there for a year, so you really didn't um, spend a lot of time. But is that, was that kind of the idea behind the, the, the conference as a whole? No, that, that, that's a little um, overrated aspect of, of junior college. I'm, you know, I'm a JUCO guy in our business. You know, I, I coached JUCO for four different JUCOs, all being a head coach. And uh, there's a myth that, you know, these junior college programs are there to, to feed certain schools. And um, in my experience uh, to this day, you know, 28 years in college basketball, that's not really the case. Um, those coaches, for the most part, um, they're just worried about winning. They're trying to win. They're trying to win championships. They're trying to, um, you know, most of them are trying to move up the chain, if you will. Uh, not all of them, but most of them uh, have higher aspirations. And it's a great way to cut your teeth uh, without the spotlight and, and, you know, learn from your mistakes and, and learn how to run a program, um, but not having to do it on ESPN or have, you know, uh, every, every um, little thing you do wrong um, magnified you know like at the division one level so I'm a big advocate um, for that level um, certainly there's strengths and weaknesses of, of um, you know going up the division one rank or division two or even division three that, that matter compared to junior college but the experience that you get and the hands-on that you get in every aspect um, of the program at that level because at our level you know like I look out my office and I got seven or eight guys out there and I'm like what in the hell do you guys do all day long like, I, I don't even know what they do all day long. Like, it's just, it's crazy at our level how many staff members we have. Um, it's ridiculous, in my opinion. But, you know, it is what it is. And um, But at that level, you'll be lucky if you got a couple guys, you know, uh, with you. And so you get to do, you get to, and you have to do everything. So you learn. You learn uh, what the program's like and what's important and et cetera, et cetera. So um, certainly part of your responsibility as a junior college coach is to, to get your guys to mature as people, to graduate them and to help them along in the process to um, make their decision of where they're going to be a four-year player. And, and you know, a lot of them go division one, some go NEI, division two, what have you. Um, but um, in terms of certain schools, um, you know, feeding kids, I mean, that, that's, that's not really the case. Once in a while, a kid will get placed with you and it's your job to make sure that he goes back to that particular school. But that changes too. I mean, you know, kids change their mind, you know, maybe they play up a level, maybe they play down a level. And um, at the end of the day, certainly relationships come into play, you know, the relationships that, that you have um, with, with other people in a business, colleagues of yours, et cetera, you know, that maybe you can help influence um, their decision. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, those kids and, and their mentors and families are, are going to make the decision on, on where they want to, you know, um, pursue their career. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, obviously, there's a couple, you know, other places that you've coached at here, Coach, but let's let's just maybe um, um, let's maybe speed ahead here a little bit where where I guess you and I first came into contact on the basketball court would be the Missouri Valley. Um, 
and your time at Illinois State. So um, walk us through and tell us a little bit about your time in uh, Bloomington Normal. Yeah, if we went through every stop, this would be like a three-hour deal. We can't do that. You know, the well, blueprint I'm going through or I went through to get where I'm at is I wouldn't advise that for any young person trying to be a coach. But it's it's my history, and, and, and I love it, and I wouldn't trade it um, for the world because there's a lot of positives to it. But um, Illinois State, let's see. Um, I wish – I could go back and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better as the older I get of getting rid of stuff. You know, when you move as much as I do, it's the best time to kind of cleanse and, and, and get rid of stuff. But um, there for a while, I, I used to have just huge file cabinets of everywhere I've been of, of every scattering report, every clinic, you know, and I'm just like, okay, this is, this is too much clutter. And so I've moved a ton. So we've decluttered recently as I've gotten older, but I wish I could go back and find the scattering report on you. So I could read it right now, you know, and talk about, I'm sure you weren't a very good defender. I, I just can't imagine you were a very good defender. I'm it sure you were a catch and shoot guy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it wasn't. The scouting report on me probably wasn't very long. Catch and shoot, maybe dribble every <laughs> once in a while. But you on the back page? Definitely not a good defender. That's, that's, that, that's 100%. Yeah, I wish I could find that. Because what's funny is um, when I was at Wichita State back in the day, we played New Mexico State twice. And it wasn't that big a gap between me being there and then coming here. And I had some scouting reports of some of the players um, that I was coaching. But unfortunately, I didn't find them. I just came upon them because I just moved recently in town in Las Cruces. And I came upon them and, oh, my God, I took pictures of them. And I brought him to the office and I showed the staff and I'm like, Oh, I wish so-and-so was still here. I could have showed him. I knew his game a long time ago and I was right. You know, he wasn't a good defender, you know, or he couldn't score in traffic. And, Oh, we got the biggest kick out of that. When, when I brought them to the office with my staff that were here coaching those, those young men. But um, again, you know, I wish I could have uh, brought that to the table today. We could have had some fun with that for sure. Uh, I should have uh, been more diligent with my preparation and, and, and found a scouting report with maybe one of my colleagues from, from back in the day. But yeah, um, you know, grew up around Missouri Valley. So having the opportunity to be in the Missouri Valley, uh, not just Illinois State, but at Wichita State for as long as I uh, was. And I was there, you know, in the heyday, if you will. I mean, you know, we were there when we were getting four bids. You know, it was a multi-bid multi -bid league. And we had, you know, teams that were winning games in the, in the NCAA tournament, uh, making runs. and you know, there's nothing like being in a league where you don't necessarily have to win the conference tournament to get in. And, and that's a fun time uh, to be in, in those leagues when it's happening um, because, you know, there, there's so much to play for in every game. And, uh, you know, I just remember the league being such a coach's league. You know, there weren't a ton of NBA players coming through the league. You know, it wasn't a league that was, you know, extremely high in athleticism, but it was high in, in – you know, coaching acumen um, is high in uh, tough kids, um, you know, the guys that can make baskets, obviously, really shoot the cover off the ball. Um, and, and I'm not trying to downplay it when I say it wasn't like a, an NBA league or a high-level athletic league. There's plenty of athletes in the league, but um, just different, you know, from maybe some other leagues that, that I've coached in or scouted against, et cetera. And, um, you know, to, to be in the league for as long as I was and, and to be in it when, um, you know, it was in its, I won't say heyday. I mean, you can go back um, for, for decades when 
Uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, New Mexico State was in the Valley back in the day, and there's a lot of teams that were in the Valley back in the day and, and rivalries and great programs. But uh, my experience was, was kind of cool just to be in it when we were getting three, four teams in for, for a period of time. Yeah, and, you know, obviously I remember that, <clears throat> uh, you know, the trips over to over to over to uh, blooming to normal playing redbird arena um you know one of the largest in the missouri valley that place got loud with uh osiris eldridge was there um mm -hmm. i think levi dyer was a was a was a big foreman for you guys uh who was very good but you know yeah i mean that year we got three or four teams in um where we, you know, had a couple teams win a couple games. That was that was a fun time to be in there. And you're definitely right. I mean, a coaches league. I mean, obviously, you know, you coach coach on um, you coach with as Porter Moser, um, who was there who was there for a while. And then, you know, as we talked about before we jumped on, uh, had an opportunity to go to another school, Loyola, and went to the Final Four. I mean, that's just uh, um, you know how how good that how good that league was. And then after uh, after Illinois State made the made the jump over to Wichita, what was that? What was that kind of transition like? Was was that something that uh, had to happen after Porter left, um, or was that you know your choice to do that? Uh, no, you know when, when when Porter got let go um, at Illinois State, you know if you look back, it was you know it was probably the best thing that happened to to all of us. Um, certainly at the time, didn't feel like that. But when the head coach, you know, gets let go, then obviously, you know, the staff goes with him, um, you know, usually um, for the most part, very rarely do, you know, people get to stay on with the new the new head coach. But, um, you know, Porter went on to work for Rick Majerus at St. Louis and, um, you know, really helped his career. And obviously he's doing great at Loyola, one of the better teams, um, you know, since he's got his guys in there and since they became a member of the conference and he had the, great run to the, the final four and if you look back to, to when we were in that league I mean I mean Mark Turgeon's at Maryland now and Dana Altman you know Creighton was at, at, at Oregon and obviously Greg McDermott and Ben Jacobson are, are two awesome guys and coaches and you know they've been a part of the league forever um, with you and I and Creighton and obviously Creighton not being in it um, anymore so um but in terms of the transition to Wichita State, like um, it couldn't work out any better. You know, obviously, um, you know, people that are familiar with Valley basketball and, and the Shockers, I mean, 10,506 every night. And um, unfortunately for us, you and I always gave us some problems, I have to admit, for some reason. Um, but we were really hard to beat. You know, I'd been over there as a, a visiting coach and, you know, we played there three times when I was with the Redbirds. And I just, Every, you're excited to play there because you know the crowd's going to be awesome. Um, it's going to be hard to win, um, but it's a lot more fun to be on the bench with the black and gold uh, when you're playing in Coke Arena because those fans are are unbelievable and rabid and, and committed, and um, it's just a great college venue. And, and to spend you know nine years there is uh, some memories that I'll cherish forever. And um, you know the, how I got hooked up with Greg Marshall is interesting. Is um, when I, my, in 1998, we won the national championship at Kirkwood and we were in Danville playing and a bunch of D coach, D2, D1 assistants where they recruited. Well, there's a D2 head coach, um, named Jeff Reynolds, who ended up being the air force coach one day. 
we kind of settled up in the hospitality room and got to know each other and blah, blah, blah. And he stayed the whole week. And, and, and at the end he goes, Hey, you want to be a D one guy one day? I'm like, yeah, I think so. I mean, I didn't know I was 28 years old. Again, I didn't know the business. I'm like, yeah, he goes, well, my buddy, Greg Marshall, who played for me back in the day is about to get the Winthrop job. I think he'd be great for him. I'm like, okay. So one thing led to another and I flew out to Winthrop and coach Marshall offered me the job. And I had already interviewed at Independence Junior College. So I chose Independence and not Winthrop. Okay. And then fast forward nine years later, I went from, you know, there to, you know, four or five of the schools and he stayed at Winthrop for nine years and went to the NCAA tournament seven times. That wasn't a very good decision I made. <laughs> I had to call him every spring. Hey coach, congratulations on another ring. You know, I'm up at Idaho now, blah, 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 you know. And, um, so during that time, from the time I went to Independence and he was at Winthrop for nine years, um, I stayed in touch with him and helped him out in recruiting a couple times. Um, a, a guy that played for me that you guys will know, Dana Ford at Illinois State, uh, who's now the head coach at Missouri State, was uh, an aspiring coach. And, and I thought he was really good and was going to be a great coach. And I recommended him as a GA at, at Winthrop. And Coach Marshall ended up hiring him as a GA at Winthrop. Um, and it was his last year at Winthrop. And then he came to Wichita State with Dana. And then um, I think because he liked Dana so much and et cetera, et cetera, and he wasn't a Midwest guy, it really helped me. My chances of getting on as a full-time guy at Wichita State. So I was reunited with Dana um, and our staff there um, in my first year. So, um, you know, he, it, on the rubber chicken circuit, when I got back to Wichita with him, you know, he would always ding me, you know, at the speaking engagements, like, yeah, you know, Winthrop wasn't good enough for, for James. I had to you know, get to Wichita State before he would, you know, come with me, and, you know, and I'd have to take the heat, you know, and he might have, you know, talked about his rings a few times um, in our tenure there before we started getting at Wichita State. So he could, you know, he had to be quiet about that since I was, uh, you know, got, got some rings as well with him. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's, um, I didn't know Greg Marshall from a hole in the wall in 1998. And then you just, you know, that's how the business work is make some networks and make some relationships and build your network. And, and uh, you know, you never know how it's going to turn out. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, it, you know, you mentioned Coke Arena. Um, and I, I will tell people, I tell people this all the time, that that is the loudest arena that I've ever played basketball in. Um, we had a game there. It would have been maybe even my senior year, so you might have been there. But um, it was broadcast overseas in Afghanistan. And it was, you know, whatever, a minute before a game started and the announcer yelled at everybody to be as loud as you can for the soldiers overseas. And if, if, if I was... I mean, if I remember correctly, the first minute or two was a little bit tough to hear after that because it was so loud. And that's, you know, honestly, in which Wichita, Kansas, the loudest arena I've ever been in. It was, it was, it was wild there. Um, did we win that game or did you win? Uh, we won that game. Yeah, I don't remember it. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember that. Game. Yeah. I don't remember the one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's a special place. Um, it's a special place and, um, um, I just, it's just, it's, it's just hard to go in there as a competitor, as, as a, as a visiting team yes. when they're good, uh, which they've been good for a long, long time, um, and, and to win. Um, but like I said, I, you guys, uh, you and I had always given us some problems, um, over there. I think 
after you left, um, we got a better handle on, on you and I, and they weren't quite as, as successful as maybe they were in your tenure. But um, we had some great games against those guys for sure. The heyday at Wichita State, that's what it was. I was going to say, was that uh, – Yeah, we, we had – Was that Adam leaving or was that Wichita me? State getting better? Which one was it? Well, it depends on who you ask probably. Uh, maybe, we should maybe. ask Jake and say, we should ask Jake what he thinks. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, coach, let's, uh, let's transition to, uh, a little bit ahead here to New Mexico state. Um, been there for three seasons, uh, had, had a lot of success here and success early. It's kind of something that, uh, as, as I go through and, uh, like you said, follow your path here. Um, You've, you've had success early in a lot of the programs and where you are, whether it's one, two, three years. Um, and so I guess one of my main questions before we talk specifically about uh, this Aggies team is what's, what's one thing that you try to always instill um, to try to build the culture, to create buy-in, um, whether, whether the plans is to be there for 10 years or whether it's a two or three year step, what is it that you've been able to instill in your programs to, to be able to have such success so early and so quickly? You know, I'm not a um, paper guy. You know, I don't, I don't like, I don't have a master plan written down. Um, I just don't. I'm just not built that way for whatever reason. Sometimes I wish I was, but I'm not. Uh, we're not a slogan team. You know, we don't have a bunch of slogans in and around our program, which is kind of in vogue right now. Uh, I always tell our guys, I, I want, I want people that watch us play know what we stand for. Um, you know, I think. You get a pretty good idea when, when you watch college teams um, compete, you know, what they're about and, and how they approach their uh, practice, et cetera. So uh, I, I would think it starts with just accountability, you know, from the top down. Uh, everybody, uh, you know, having a, a hard hat mentality and everybody having an um, expectation to, to do your job, if you will. Um, and, and, you know, we try to keep it pretty simple that way. and you know, starts with me and it bleeds into the, the staff and certainly the players. And, you know, once you've established yourself, you know, then it just, it just happens. You know, the new guys come in and uh, real quick, you know, they see it with their eyes, they hear about it in the process, but once they get there and, and, and they're part of it, they just see what it's like. And you guys have both played college basketball and you can understand what I'm saying. And uh, there's good cultures and bad cultures. And, um, you know, if you got a good one, it's fun to be a part of. It's fun to be a part of. Establishing it can be hard and arduous and, and difficult. Um, you know, especially when, especially when you take over a program that's won. It's a lot easier. I've done this most of my life. I've been a head coach for six different programs at different levels. And most of the level, most of the programs I took over have lost. And so it's easy because if they want to win, they're going to listen to the new guy, at least give them a chance if they want to win at all, you know, but when you take over a program that's won at a pretty high level and then you're going to do it different, that was, that was difficult when I first got here. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever felt more internal pressure um, when I arrived here. They're coming off a school record, 28 wins. Um, you know, they've been going to the NCAA tournament and, the way the previous staff did it is, is uh, 180 from how we do it. And, you know, again, the longer I'm in the business, the more I, I'm with and understand and agree with. There's a lot of different ways to get it done. You know, when I was a young coach, it was this is the way you did it. How could you coach any other way? But 
with experience because you can't teach experience you realize that there's a lot of different ways to get it done and but that was that was hard that was hard um that first year fortunately you know we end up having a good year and kind of took the pressure off certainly as most head coaches will tell you or uh, hopefully they'll admit i mean you always you know that pressure you feel from the outside is nothing like the pressure you feel from the inside i mean you know that that stuff is is, is nothing i mean it's just the, the intensity of that uh, to me is irrelevant compared to, to you know how how your insides feel and how much um, internal pressure you put on yourself to be successful and to win and to do it the right way but um, the first year was the hardest and then after that um, it's just fun to to hear the other guys um, lead to hear the other guys use the terminology and the phrases that they've heard from other coaches and now they're using it with the young players and um, I don't I don't have to get on them nearly as much I don't have to raise my voice nearly as much um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm aging a lot. I got gray everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but um, I think it's slowed down a little bit in the last year or two because of, of having a culture and establishing ourselves. So uh, we're excited. I'm, I'm as excited now going into my fourth year as I was um, in my first year. Um, but um, things are going well. We, we like where we're at. Uh, certainly, you know, um, you know, what everyone's going through, um, not just in college basketball, but you know, abroad with the, the COVID and the pandemic and, and how it's uh, uh, turned our lives upside down. Uh, certainly, you know, we're getting better at it. You know, hopefully, it'll continue to get better for everybody. Um, but um, I, I'm just glad that you know we have a, a, a goal in sight. You know, there's a date now, and, and, and the kids can focus a little bit harder. The coaches can focus a little bit harder. Hopefully, we'll get to that point, and, and things will even be better now uh, in terms of testing and, and um, mitigation, et cetera, versus this awful, awful virus. Yeah, we're right there with you. We hope that we can start to get things maybe a little bit back to normal here as soon as soon as soon as everything's safe and able. But um, Hey, so uh, for those that maybe don't know a lot about, two questions actually with this. So those that don't know a lot about uh, uh, your program, if they were to turn on a New Mexico State game, what what are some things that they can, one, expect to see as far as a little bit about on your your, your guys' style of play? And then two, kind of transition that into uh, this year and what, uh, what you're looking forward to this year. It looks like you have um, – upper class uh a bunch of upperclassmen so some guys with some experience like you said 16 and 0 in the conference last year it looks like three conference titles in a row um so obviously hoping for good things again this year but uh when, when we catch you uh, this year in action what, what can we expect to see from the squad i'm not great at this uh i think um you know other coaches are probably better served to answer questions but um you know, our staples, what, what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, our, the things we talk about daily and the things that we focus on are, are defending, rebounding, and, and just playing really, really hard. Um, I think if you do those three things, uh, you're always going to have a chance. Uh, um, you know, it's not like we're not coaching offense or um, skill development. You know, we're huge in the skill development. We do it, excuse me, every day regardless of what portion of the season we're in. Um, but we start on that end of the floor. Uh, you know, if you do, you know, analytics now have taken over um, basketball and, and, and I don't follow football that closely, but I'm sure it's the same for their sport and baseball, et cetera. Um, and that 
plays a part in it. And if you look at our, our defending and rebounding numbers, I mean, they're, they're surprising because they're, they're pretty good. Um, but at the same time, uh, that's what we focus on, you know, are those, those uh, facets of the game. Uh, it's an old school, you know, slogan or, or uh, phrase, but uh, I still abide by it. I just think that defense travels, you know, you get on the bus or the plane and you go to these um, tough arenas to play in. Um, it's just human nature. Um, sometimes the ball doesn't go in the net at quite the same clip when you're on the road as you do at home with the friendly confines, et cetera. And so it just makes sense to me that to be, you know, be good in, in those facets of the game where rebounding defense have nothing to do with, um, you know, offense in terms of, of shooting percentage, uh, comfort level, uh, the, distraction, the, the distractions of being on the road are real. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we live by around here. And, and don't get me wrong, like we, we feel really good about our offense. Um, you know, we try to score off our defense and get deflections and, and get advantage opportunities as best we can. And, um, but but the, the older I've gotten um, and the more exposure I've gotten as a coach, um, I've focused you know, in the offseason, I don't focus on our defense. I watch all our offense. That's all I watch is our offense. And we're tweaking our offense way more than we're tweaking our defense. And we're trying to find ways to get better and to be more efficient uh, on that end of the court every year while not, you know, uh, not giving in or, or lessening what we're doing in the other facets of the game that have been our staples and have been what people probably think about us if you look at the rebounding numbers and, and the defensive numbers. That, that we put together and um, at the end of the day I mean I think when people watch this you know if, if they're knowledgeable at all they're, they're going to see that what well, we compete you know we try to compete all the time and and uh, try to really get after it and, and um, you know not not give anything up easy and and then on the offensive end you know try to just you know space the floor and, and put our guys in, in positions where they can make plays and be athletic and uh, we try to try to recruit athletic guys, you know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, it's not a joystick, you know, you, you got to get these guys out there and, and, and let them play. And, and, and I like them to feel real confident on the offensive end. I don't like to put a ton of restrictions on them and try to control them. I want them to, to feel good. I don't want that little man in the back of his head, you know, questioning whether this is a good shot or not. Um, back in the day, I wasn't raised that way in basketball. It was turn a good shot into a great shot, but I'm more like, let's get a shot. You know, we can rebound a missed shot. We can't rebound a turnover. And, um, you know, I don't – I hate it when the shot clock expires. And um, so, you know, I, I, I try to sell them the, the freedom that, that we give them offensively in return of, you know, how hard you're going to have to play on the other end and how focused you're going to be on defense. And if you're not willing to stick your nose in there and bang around and block people out and, and you know, get dirty, et cetera, then, then you're going to have a hard time getting in the game. You know, that's, your, that's your price of admission is uh, doing the things that, that we expect you to do around here. And uh, obviously it's working thus far and, um, you know, hopefully they'll continue. Awesome. Awesome. And I know that I can probably speak for Brian too, but um, I really, really enjoy watching you and your team out there competing, um, you know, not just in the NCAA tournament, but, you know, whenever I can catch a game out there West, um, you know, really, really fun to watch your, watch your kids out there and play. Um, well, we, we, we liked in our podcast, your coach with a little section we call rapid fire. Um, and as we kind of talked about, uh, you'll get a couple questions from Brian and all you really got to do is answer them. Yeah, let's have a Sounds little fun. Good. Let's have a little fun, Coach. All right. 
All right. So um, you coached at a lot of different levels. Um, but who who is the best player that you've ever coached against? Or maybe who was just ahead of everybody else based off the level? But um, take it however you want. But who is the best player you've ever coached against? Good question. Um, 28 years, you've coached against a lot of, a lot of good players. Um, but the one that um, sticks out to me is uh, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, played against Kawhi Leonard when I was at Wichita and he was in San Diego State. And I'll, I'll never forget it. I, I knew one of the assistants, who's now the head coach, Brian Dutcher, and we're in warm-ups and um, I'm watching him warm up and I've never seen anyone's hands bigger than that. Like he had the biggest hands on any human being I've ever seen in my life and I I remember asking Dutch I'm like dude what's up with his hands man I'm like he's like the only hands I've ever seen like that were Chris Webber's obviously Chris Webber was a pretty good player um but yeah um he was uh you could tell I mean obviously he wasn't the you know, MVP back at San Diego State of the NBA but you could just the, the talent in the body and the hands and um you could tell he's going to be a heck of a player yeah, that's how he got the nickname, the Claw, too, right? It makes makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um, they're big, they're huge. Heck of a player, too. Obviously, came a long ways. But uh, what's uh, what about favorite gym? Again, you can take this however you want. Going all the way back, you've been in a lot of them. What uh, what's your favorite gym? Oh wow! Um, I like the Loris College Fieldhouse. Um. That's as close to Hoosiers as I've ever played in. Yep. You know, you had the, the track up top. You had the tartan floor, which is an old school. It would have been nice if it had been a wood floor. But it was an old school tartan floor. You had the, you had the uh, track uh, up above. And if you would shoot a corner three, even for the home team, as you're getting ready to shoot it, okay, and I, I wasn't a perfect shooter. I would follow the ball, I'm sure, beat kept his eyes on the rim, but I didn't. I would follow the ball. And you'd look up and think, oh, am I going to hit the track? Am I going to hit, you know, the cement that goes around the railing? And it was there, and you could see it. Um, but just, I mean, what a place to play, you know, because I don't know what it would it'd probably hold a 1,000 people, you know, uh, if the fire code allowed it. You know, there wasn't much bleachers. There wasn't much room. Um, but when you get, you know, that many people, it was tiny. Well, I went back there. Uh, I don't know. I, I've been back there, but last time I went back, the new arena had been built, and and I was with some family members, and we went to the field house was open, like it was unbelievable. It was open. We walked in there, and there was a ball in there, and my family and I got a, you know, hey, that's where I played, blah 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 blah, and like it looked really small then. I mean, <laughs> you're a little bit older, and now you played in these big, humongous arenas, and you know, you play in front of seventy thousand people, um, and then you go back there, and you're like. Wow. But at the time, you know, I thought it was, you know, um, as, as big and better as any other arena I played in. But um, I would have to I'd have to go with the, the Blowers College Fieldhouse. That, that's a good one. And I know exactly what you mean. That track felt like it was hanging over top yeah. of your head and you had the suspension wires and stuff. It uh, There's a lot going on, but it was a fun, fun place to play. Um, OK, it was a home court uh, advantage. What's that? Yeah. It was a home court advantage. Oh, it was. Absolutely. It was. Um, all right, have a little fun here, Coach. What's a, what's a must-have snack that you got to take with you on a road trip? Breakfast bars, like those Belvedas. 
mm-hmm. Velveeta breakfast bars. Um, Good choice. My wife stuffs me with those uh, every time I leave the house. Um, I'm on a daily because I tend to not eat great. Um, uh, not not I I try to eat well, but I don't eat often as much as, and then I get hangry. Um, <laughs> I'm a hangry guy big time. I mean, I know it, and sometimes the time gets away from you, you know, and um, so those bars have come in handy many times. Yeah, good, good. That's a good one. Um, who's the greatest player of all time? Oh, come on, man. I mean, Michael Jordan, it's not even close. I mean, love um, it. I just don't how, know how anyone can argue that. But obviously, you know, the young people that have never, you know, experienced MJ and his competitive spirit and his will to win and, and all that and, and and don't get me wrong i mean you got to have lebron james um and kobe in, in the conversation and they deserve to be but um i just there's just that competitive drive and and how he did it um i just i just can't imagine uh anything you know anyone else being like that did you get a chance to watch uh the last dance oh absolutely um I'll keep this real short, but my first two years in coaching was at Elmhurst and they just happened to be the host school for Michael Jordan's basketball camps in the summer. So awesome. Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, BJ Armstrong, Iowa Hawkeye, all would hold their camps at Elmhurst college in the summer. And so being the assistant coach, well, whatever they call me back then, um, I got to be in close quarters with him. Like I was in office space with him multiple times. Um, like I got I mean, I went to play racquetball with uh, BJ Armstrong. Um, you know, they would play pickup at night and I'd be right there. Um, so it was really cool. Uh, got to know, you know, in the last dances driver, the guy with the hair, George Kohler, you know, he was hanging out with us at night and going to lunch and dinners with him. And, you know, I got, I got tons of, of autograph stuff, balls, hats, uh, uh, Sports Illustrates, you know, because I had access to them. And so I got tons of stuff autographed. I still have it um, to this day. Like when, when The Last Dance came out, I know there was a big surge in memorabilia for him and they were going for big money. And of course, I'm like, told my wife, oh, we should, she's like, no way, you're not, you're not doing that, you know. And so I lost that battle. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's I, I, I still talk about him with our guys, you know. I, we talk about them with our guys. I argue with them. It's kind of fun to, to uh, you know, get into it with those guys a little bit because none of those guys are going to choose him. Yeah. No, well, we're in agreement with you there, so that's good. Um, what about uh, – we talked a little bit about childhood, but do uh, you have a favorite golf course? <sighs> you know, I had the opportunity um, to play uh, Kiwa Island, the ocean course, twice, um, two different years. Uh, it's a long story how, but um, – so, you know, that's where the um, PGA Tour, uh, cha- PGA Championship is going to be in May yep. at Kiwa Island. Um, and I played it twice and I certainly did, didn't play, uh, you know, the tees are going to play. But um, yeah, it's so cool. I mean, literally like three or four of the holes coming down the stretch, you literally could, you know, turn your body um, to face the other way and you could literally hit in the ocean. Like you could literally hit the ball in the ocean. You're that close to it and in the, in the, um, that the, the tea areas have, you know, sand blown all over them. And, um, you were, we caddied up and all that. And then I didn't get to play it, but, um, the last time the masters was played, uh, I was there, 
um, for that. And when Tiger won it, um, so that was obviously cool. Like it was hell of grounds. You know, I remember walking on, I was only there for the practice rounds, but uh, it was, uh, it was really neat to be there. And now, you know, for the rest of my life, you know, I, I got the, the yardage book and, and the layout of the, of the holes. And so, I, you know, I saw, I walked the course. And so now from here on out, you know, I could actually know what, what the shots they're hitting and how it looks from the tee box, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely into golf. That's, that's kind of my hobby and certainly have more time to play it when you're a head coach than you do uh, as an assistant. And then, you know, during the pandemic, I mean, <laughs> I think my wife thought I was trying to make the senior tour as much as I was saying I'm off in the day. Um, but things have slowed down that way. And the problem with that is your, your handicap gets low, right? You play more, you get, you get better. Right. And I won't play much now until the next spring and then I'll have the same handicap and you know, I'll, I'll get my butt whipped when we go back in the spring. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Obviously Augusta, every, every golfer drink oh. right there. So that is yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Um, we, we talked about it briefly and, uh, keeping, keeping things obviously, uh, um, fair to everybody here, but do you have a, do you have a Marty McCowan story that you can share with us or our listeners of what's your favorite memory or moment with coach? Gosh, I got some that I can't talk on air. We can talk <laughs> afterwards. So Marty moved in across his kitty corner from me. He, he, he lived kitty corner from me. Like it took 23 steps to go from my front door to his. Okay. So I was a sports nut, right? I'm 14. I'm, I'm going to be a freshman. And I was excited because we had a new coach, no disrespect to the, the last one, but they hadn't won there forever. And we got a new coach and he moved next door to me. Um, so I literally grew up like across the street from the, from the head basketball coach. And I used to babysit Brooks, um, and John all the time. I would babysit them all the time. Uh, my dad and his crew uh, took Marty under his wing, and which I'm not sure was good for Marty. Um, but, you know, they got him, you know, getting up at the crack of dawn, going trout fishing. And, you know, here I am, you know, tagging along and trying to butter up the coach a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm babysitting his kids. I'm hanging out with him trying to catch some fish and, you know, uh, I, I wanted to play obviously. So I wanted to get a, a relationship um, with him, but um, you know, we, we were integrated from, from day one, you know, we were integrated from day one. And then um, I don't know if he'll admit this, but like me and, and, and a couple of my buddies were hoops junkies, like Brent Brazzi, who's the head coach at Cornell women's now and used to be on the men's side. He was a great guy and a great coach and um, Kurt Lau, um, you know, who, who's passed away recently. We, we were, we were really into ball, you know, it was more of a wrestling football uh, community, but, but we were into basketball. Like we literally would like um, go over to watch Waterloo East play um, just, just to watch them play. Uh, we talked about the trips to the parks, et cetera. Um, but we were, we were designing plays all the time. Like we literally would, would come to coach like in study halls, uh, in practice and be like, Hey, Hey, we need to run this coach. We need, and he would let us, like we'd be in timeouts and we'd be running the timeout. People would do triangles and twos. And I remember having Pepsi cups in the concession stand and laying them out saying, Hey, we need to do this and that and this. And, and credit to him. He didn't think he had all the answers. And certainly, you know, we didn't know what the hell we were doing either. We were 14, 15 years old, but um, we literally would be, calling plays and, and putting stuff in. And I just don't think that's probably the norm. 
um, for most programs across the country. But, um, you know, he, he, I'm sure he would admit this. I mean, it wasn't like he, you know, um, had a ton of basketball X and O acumen walking in the door. He came off the gridiron and the, in the baseball field right into being a head coach at, at a high school. And I think we, I think they won four games. Freshmen weren't eligible my year. Like, like, you know, arguably I would have played, not played, but freshmen were not eligible at Wapsie Valley my year. So only year in the history of the school that freshmen weren't eligible, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, and so I got to watch and they were four and 16 my first year. And then, uh, and then, then I became a sophomore and, and the guys that I were with uh, that I mentioned, you know, we were really into ball and we started winning some games and then he's just taken the program and, and obviously took off with, it. I couldn't have been more excited um, to, to follow them um, for their state championship run. I was a little disappointed because we were in Vegas for the conference tournament and Marty and his wife, Marty, were going to come to Vegas as soon as they lost in their playoff run because they didn't have, they weren't having a great year. I mean, I don't know how many games they won. I think they won 17 and eight or something like that. And they may have had 12 or 13 wins going into the playoffs. Um, and they ended up being the eighth seed. And so he had a plane ticket, a hotel room. He was coming to Vegas to watch the WAC tournament. And they just went on this unbelievable run. Um, and then his assistant, um, uh, Mitchell Babers, is married to um, my niece. And he was coming too. And so, you know, our, our fan uh, base dropped a little bit when, when they won the championship, even though it worked out great because they were allowed to play. And two, we didn't get to play. That would have really been bad if they got beat and then they come out there. They don't even get uh, a watch a game. But um, yeah, um, Marty, Marty's the best and couldn't have been more happy for, for him and his family to, to uh, get that state championship under his resume. It certainly has got a ton of wins. And um, I just saw him, you know, I was back home this weekend, uh, seeing my family, et cetera. And I went to the football game and spent a bunch of time with him on the sidelines, reminiscing, et cetera. And he still got the same upbeat personality he always had. So I was fortunate that uh, he moved in when he did. And, and uh, you know, we're certainly not coach player relationship anymore. It's, it's developed way more than that. No, that's good. We, we enjoyed our conversation with Marty, and uh, he actually shared a lot of the same sentiment as you just mentioned, so that's good. Um, Coach, two more, and we'll get you out of here. One, um, Adam and I have the privilege to come down and uh, watch your team play. Where do we got to stop and get a bite to eat before uh, we come by the stadium? Where's, where's the spot down there for us? We got a bunch of them. Um, you know, uh, Mexican food runs the show around here. Mm-hmm. It's authentic. Um, when I first got here, you know, they talked about, are you red or green? And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, are you red or green chili? And I'm like, chili, where I come from, chili is hamburger, tomatoes, some broth, you know, tomato sauce. And it's, you eat it on cold nights, you know, um, Friday nights before the football game, you know, et cetera. And they're looking at me like, that ain't chili. And, you know, I, I was not familiar with it. But here, um, it, it's chili country. It's produced around here. It's processed around here. And um, it, they put it on everything. And red or green is, do you want red or green? Or do you want Christmas style, which is red and green? Um, and they told me, and, and I, I wasn't a spicy food guy, and they told me, oh, you'll get used to it. You'll get used to it. I'm like, you're crazy because this stuff, I mean, it, it, salsa's nothing. Chili's the deal. And so there are so many um, um, you know, mom, pa, Mexican restaurants around here, and they're unbelievably good. And if, but if I had to choose one, I, I would send you to, um, getting to know you guys a little bit, I would send you to the doghouse. 
Okay, it's called Andalay's Doghouse. It's indoor outdoor. You can bring your dogs, uh, and they got they got some you know the green chicken, uh, the, the green chili chicken enchiladas is, is my favorite dish in town. And there's a lot of plate people that serve it, but that's probably my favorite right now. That's awesome, Adam. Make sure you get that on the list. Um, got it. And then uh, last one here for you, Coach, and you've kind of mentioned it, a little bit of a loaded question, but opportunity for you to kind of uh, share your feelings and a good one to send you out on. But uh, tell us what's the best thing about being the head coach for the New Mexico State Aggies? You know, I love being at a place where people care about ball. Um, there's a rich tradition of winning here, you know, from – way back in the day. There's been some great coaches, some great players, some great teams. Uh, I love being at a place where literally the mood of some of the people of the city is affected by how we perform and how we do. And I love being a part of it. I, I, I don't take it lightly. It means the world to me. Um, you know, uh, Aggie fans are world wide if if i travel uh, ultimately someone you know recognizes me um, um you know especially if i wear something aggy which i try not to um but they're everywhere and it's important to them and and i love i love the fact that um basketball is important to folks around here not just on campus but and not even just in the community um it, it's it's people are proud of, of this institution and proud of, of this program um, and, you know, I'd never really been down here much, uh, in the Southwest, you know, a few times recruiting, maybe to play a game, but to live down in here, uh, not only they love the Aggies, that it's a golfing community. Um, we got four great courses and, and they're all really good. Uh, you got the mountains and the desert, et cetera. So it makes for great setups. You can play year round. Um, you know, I love the weather. Um, certainly, you know, uh, when you're winning, it makes it a lot more fun to, to, to be a part of the program. And, and we've been doing, you know, some of that. So that makes it a lot more fun. But, um, you know, our our ceiling is, uh, you know, our goal is to, uh, you know, make a run in the tournament. You know, we, we pretty much, for the most part, done everything else, you know, with the Power Five wins, um, you know, with the consecutive uh, championships, we're in the midst of a 19-game winning streak. When we head into the season, you know, we'll have one of the longest winning streaks in America, and that'll be a, a rallying cry for, for our program to try to extend it for as long as we can. Certainly, it won't last forever. We got an unbelievable streak going on in the WAC as well. I, I don't even know what it is off the top of my head, but, um, you know, it, it's fun. And winning's fun. You guys know it. It certainly beats the hell out of losing. You know, you just don't t show me a lot of losing programs that are they're having a lot of fun. You know, they're just not from the head coach to the to the last guy on, on the bench. Um, so it, it's fun to be a part of it. And, um, you know, I think we can get better. You know, I, I think our name continues to resonate with young people. And um, we got a great sell with, with the winning and the weather and the tradition. And uh, once people, you know, are more familiar with it, that's probably our biggest problem is, you know, they don't know exactly where we're located. You know, I didn't know a lot about the state of New Mexico until I, I, I moved here. And um, it's, it's an awesome place to live. There's a ton of stuff to do in terms of, you know, hiking, fishing, hunting, the golf we talked about. There's a lot of stuff to sightsee in the state. And so uh, it just couldn't have worked out any better. And, and uh, we're definitely looking forward to the future.
That's great, Coach. We, we appreciate it. Um, we really appreciate all your insight. Most importantly, we appreciate you taking some time and, and chatting with us today. Um, we know you're a busy guy. I know we have the corner or the season's right around the corner here. And so, again, just just thank you. We we, we greatly appreciate it. Well, great talking to some Iowa guys. Um, hope you guys are having fun with this. I'm sure it will continue to grow and we'll get some uh, bigger, brighter uh, names than me. And I'm sure you guys got some some targets on some folks. If you need anyone and you need some help, um, you know, let me know. Uh, a bunch of Iowa guys out there that are doing great things in, in the world of basketball. And um, hopefully your fan base will continue to grow. But I enjoyed talking to uh, a couple small time Iowa guys myself. Awesome. Yeah, like like Brian said, Coach, we really appreciate the time um, and appreciate our listeners as well. Um, as we always say, you know, if you enjoyed what you hear, wherever you get your podcast, we'd really appreciate a five star rating and find us on every social network. Facebook, search the Shooters Touch, Instagram and Twitter at Shooters Touch IA. And always remember, Shooters Shoot. Cause I'm right in my mind Hustling harder than ever before Saying I change cause I like when I shine The diamonds hit different like Mike in his prime I got the shooters touch yeah. Can't nobody ball like me Blue face hunters on hunters on hunters That's really all I see Ali Farouk Manesh A name that will live in infamy For the NCAA tournament For all Northern Iowa Panther fans And in Kansas Jayhawk world as well Ali is initially from Pullman, Washington, where he grew up playing basketball all, all the time. Him and his family moved to Iowa City, where he ended up going to Iowa City West, and initially was not tall enough, not athletic enough, not good enough to play a lot of minutes for that high school team. So Ali got to work. He improved what he needed to improve and ended up playing a lot of minutes for the really good Iowa City West team at the end of his high school career. After high school, he had no scholarship offers, Chose Indian Hills where it didn't necessarily work out for him. So transferred to Kirkwood where he really made a name for himself. Again, by putting in the work that he needed to. Ali talks about some great stories at Kirkwood. Playing for Coach Wagemeister. And a couple of stories that really changed his mindset in practice. And therefore in games as well. After Kirkwood, moved on to Northern Iowa obviously. And played for Coach Jacobson. Again, tells some great stories about a couple games, about a couple aspects of playing for Coach Jacobson that really changed him as a player and changed those Panther teams that had a couple runs to the NCAA tournament there. After that, went overseas, played three or four years, ended up uh, coming back and deciding to coach at Nebraska and then moved on to Drake where he was an assistant coach and now actually in Colorado State the great state of Colorado, uh, coaching under as an assistant coach, Nico Medved. Ali tells great stories, as I mentioned. He is a super intelligent coach who will be a head coach eventually whenever he decides to. But it was great connecting with him, as it is always great connecting with these coaches um, and connecting the dots with some of the aspects of, of my background playing at UNI and just after me when Ali made the trip there. We hope you enjoy this episode. As I mentioned, Ali Froke Manesh.